Hello, friends, and welcome back to the What Now podcast. Today, I have the immense pleasure, immense doesn't even come to describe the pleasure that I have to interview this individual. I met Larry, honestly, kind of randomly. I went to Random and Spice. Honestly, if you haven't been to Random and Spice, you need to check it out. It's one of the best Jamaican joints in the area. So I went to Random and Spice because I was looking for a new Jamaican spot to eat at. And I Googled it. I got there, got the food. It was absolutely delicious. And when I was there, I saw Larry walking in. I believe he sat at the front ordered his food, ate his food, and then after we were both done, we had a brief conversation, and he shared his story with me, and I thought it was fascinating. I had to get him on the podcast. So today, I'm sitting with Larry, the man himself, Larry Thompson, and I have the pleasure of talking to him. Larry, my man, how you doing? I'm here. I'm doing great. How long have you been going to uh, Rhythm and Spice? Oh, wow. I've been going to Rhythm and Spice since 1994. Is that when they first opened? That might have been right around the time they opened. I've been going there for years. So is that how long you've been in Vancouver? I've been in Vancouver since 94, but I've been in Canada since 91. You grew up in California. Fairfield, California. What was it like growing up in Cali back in those days? I'm an Air Force kid, so my dad was an airplane mechanic. So I was born at the base and then we kind of went from there from the base and then we got to the general area, which was Fairfield, California. We moved there and parents had separations and then that's when we kind of fell apart as a family. And then from there, we kind of just learned to be without pops. So it was you, yourself, your sister, and then your mom. Yes. And then pops just left. He was in the military. He was discharged from military. And then from that, we kind of just went, mom and I and my sister went away on our own way. What was it like being in a house with two women? Um, it was good, man. I, my mom was tough, but not too tough. Kind of thing where I, I just obviously know her mom after I my grandma. She was a lovely woman. And I think with my mom being who she was, but I didn't think it past the fact that I know grandma. So it, it wasn't really a, a harsh thing because I knew where she was coming from. Right, right, right. So your grandma was tough on you. Yeah. By extension, mama was also tough. So yeah. you kind of understood yeah. the background yeah. and everything. So you guys moved to Fairfield. And then you started going to high school, I'm assuming. At what age did you start playing sports? And what was your first sport that you played? I started playing sports at eight. And I played football, but my first sport was actually baseball. Multiple sport athlete. Yes, yes. In fact, actually three sports. I played soccer too. Soccer too? So soccer was my first sport. So soccer, baseball, then football. And then throughout high school, you played all three of those sports? Except for soccer. What was your high school like? Was it competitive as far as when it came to sports? Well, for me, I was, as they say, as a top athlete. I was, mm-hmm. I was a little bit better than the rest. I kind of didn't know anything other than that, mm-hmm. but I just knew how, how more aggressive I was with just being passionate about playing the sport I played. I never was cocky, but I was just more of um, just an understanding of what I could do. So I wasn't never arrogant, never cocky, never like, oh, I taught you this, oh, are oh, you better at this? No, it was just more of just everybody knew. You were a competitor and you wanted to win. You trained make sure you were ready for every single competition that you had. Okay. Now remember to get back to that. I remember one year, specifically my sophomore year, grade 10, there was an older guy, his name was Adam Butler, and he was a year older. And I remember having all the, the football players were all in kind of a group. And then I kind of walked up and, and Adam said, hey, you guys see this gentleman right here? His name is Larry Thompson. You guys see him, but I don't want you guys messing with this guy. And then that's when I first learned about how it kind of worked. Once you're a top guy, like you kind of get passed through the riffraff. It's been that a little bit more. So it was the kind of thing to work. Oh, because I was such a little dude. Like I was small. Like I okay. was 5'10", like at that time, probably like 165. Like right. A little, a little dude. Right. But I could play. Adam knew that. He was making sure that I was protected. Right. Okay. So the older gentleman was yeah. making sure that you were protected yes. from nobody messing with you. Right. So you could fully focus exactly. on the sport and do whatever you had to do. Exactly. Was that in the school or was that outside of school? That was in the school. In the school. That was right in the middle of the school, like okay. the stadium. Thinking about it, it was pretty cool, like how there had to have been about 20 guys. And then I walked up, he like got everyone quiet and he told them about me. Right. And then that's when I started to figure out, I, I, this is going to be a little different for me. What was football like at Fairfield? Obviously, were you guys one of the top teams at the time? Were you getting recruited heavily? No, I wasn't getting recruited heavily. I was just an up and comer. So I was just learning how to be better. Did you arrive into football at a later age? No, I mean, football is every season, but it's just the fact of just being a better athlete when it's time to. 
was it anything specific that guided you towards sports or it was just kids in the in the, in the area just everybody was yeah, playing sports yeah, everybody played sports it was the kind of thing to do to keep you out of trouble mm-hmm. you know there was a lot of drug dealing and all the other negative stuff that goes on but for myself I, I wasn't into that but then i figured out that i was pretty good right and then it seemed like every year things just progressed but it progressed to where i started understanding that i was better than right. the rest. At a young age, you saw a potential for yourself to set yourself apart and make something out of your life yeah. with sports. Yes, but back backtrack back to when I was eight, I was with the junior Pee Wee football team, which is the eighth grader, but then they put us in the wrong division. Right. So they put us in with the nine and 10 year olds. So eight year olds playing with nine and 10 year olds and we were getting blown. Like every game was at least 50 to 60. 50 to 6 to 0, 70 to 0, like it was just a blowout. And I remember the, the specific team I remember us going to was we went into Oakland, California. And Oakland, California, their colors were yellow and white, but the team was all black from Oakland. So just to think of understanding, like to be from the Bay Area, but then to be from Oakland, Oakland is a very tough city. And the parents would be in the stands with gallon jugs of pennies. And they would shake the pennies every time, you know, instead of hand claps, they would use the shaking the pennies within the jugs. So they would go, Oakland Dynamite, but that's the pennies in the plastic jugs. And then they would wear white knee pads, so white volleyball pads over their pads to make their legs look bigger. Oh, okay. So they were fast. And they were just, it was just an image that they were trying to portray mm-hmm. to. They, Toughness. Yes, that's right. Exactly. That's when I started to learn about how in the sport of football, you got to be just a little bit tough. You have to have an edge. Yes, right. An edge to you. And you got to find out what that edge is. At that age, did you find out what your edge was? We're talking from freshman year all the way up to your senior year. Did you have an edge about yourself that you found out? I, I knew what my edge was, which was speed. I was really fast in my day. What, when you're talking fast, let's hear some measurements. You know the 40 time. I ran a 4.32. So I don't know if you can really understand how fast it is. That is, that is fast. Great. Oh, that's one of the top speeds in the NFL. These top three speeds in the NFL right now is a 4.3 something. And I ran a 4.32. If you're running a 4.32 and you were one of the top guys in, in high school, how come your recruiting process wasn't as heavily regarded as other athletes in your age group? It was. I was recruited highly. Oh, well, okay. I was recruited highly. Let's take a step back then. So in high school, you were recruited heavily. Mm-hmm. Do you remember some of the schools that were trying to recruit you? All of them. I had two big green bags of offers. Wow. From every school. Every school wanted me because I was considered a, um, a blue chip athlete. Explain a little bit what a blue chip athlete is. Blue chip is. athlete is when you're known nationally. Your blue chip athletes, like say like your Tom Brady, your Michael Vicks, your Eli and Peyton Manning, like those big names you hear, right. I was in that category. In high school, you were getting heavily recruited. And then what happens through your recruiting process? I wasn't really thinking about going pro up to my senior year. Okay, right. So up to my senior year, I was just a regular kid playing on the team. But then what separated me from that was when I was getting all these letters. Then my mom was like, what is this letter you've got? I said, well, what does it say? She, so it says blue chip. I said, I don't know what that means. She goes, well, this one is in a different letter too. I said, you got to need to come open this. I said, well, mom, I don't know what a blue chip athlete is. So then once I figured out what your blue chip athlete, once you're a blue chip athlete, you're known nationally. Everybody wants you. No matter what sport it is, they're going to come get you. My senior year, Jerry Rice came on an interview and said that he wanted to be better than an individual who scored 22 touchdowns in one season. And I said, well, I want to be better than Jerry Rice. That's my own process of, of separating myself, being able to have all these letters and got this blue chip athlete. So I said, I knew I had to do something to kind of separate myself. So from there, I said, well, if Jerry Rice is going to score 22 touchdowns in one season, I'm going to do the same. He actually did it, but he did it in 16 games. Well, I did it in 10. At the time, was he playing in the NFL? With the San Francisco 49 So he had more games. Yeah, no, he was a pro. Right, right. So okay. I was in high school. So I was just trying to be and wanted to be better than him. I was an actual 49er fan. But then the fact that when I, once I switched to him, I became a Raider fan. The Raiders and the 49ers are all in the same area, but either you want to go with red and gold or you want to go black and white. Right. So I went black and white. And from there, I just got my game together and think, but I didn't go to school to, to go to college. I was just going to go to work. Mm-hmm. So I had to go to junior college. 
so that season, take me back a little bit. That season that you scored all those touchdowns, what was that season like for you? You set it and then you, you produced it. What was that process like for you? That, that last year, that your senior year? It, it was the kind of thing to where I was used to doing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So me scoring touchdowns, that was that was just something I did. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't something that where like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go here, I'm gonna score. No, it was the kind of thing to where I knew that the offensive scheme was giving me an opportunity to do what, what I wanted to do. Okay. So me scoring, you know, two and three touchdowns a game, that was just something I did. It wasn't something like I was forced to, but that was just something, I mean, like four quarters in the game, like I get a chance to get at least five or eight balls a game and I can't score twice in eight balls. That's how I was thinking like, damn, I'm gonna catch the ball at least four or five times. I was thinking four or five times, like, no, oh, I can score from that. But then I was thinking like, if I get eight, I can score twice. Right. So we went to that. So how come after high school, you didn't go to one of those big universities, big colleges, but you had to go to junior college? Because I didn't have the right courses. Okay. So I had to go to junior college to upgrade my courses to go to university. In order to be able to go to those universities, there's certain grades and certain courses that you need to have. Yes. I feel almost as if a lot of athletes don't understand that process. You need athletic ability, yes, but you also need to have certain grades to go together to be able to then go to university and then get your education paid for free. Exactly. And have an opportunity to eventually play a professional. Exactly. There's yeah. a lot of great athletes yeah. around, but if you don't have the grades to accompany that, your abilities, sorry, my man, but you're not going to go very far. Yeah. So in the States, you're able to go to junior college. I guess in Canada would be a gap year. Mm -hmm. Take a gap year, go to junior college, improve your grades. Yeah. Which junior college did you go to? It was called Solano College. It's in um, in Northern California, but it's it's now the football program has canceled. But okay. they still, at that time, we had a good good system going as a different, the different teams we played. And I did well in college too. So you played at Solano Community College and posted two thousand yard seasons, I believe. Mm -hmm. Explain to the people a little bit. What is it like to be in a junior college? Because I don't think people in Canada fully understand what a junior college is. What is it like to be in a junior college? Because I would imagine that all the assets that are coming there are super competitive. Yeah. Because everybody's looking for an opportunity. Everybody's looking for essentially a second chance. Yeah. So what's the level of competitiveness that exists between the athletes? It's very competitive. It's a lot of guys that come to the to university that say, oh yeah, I can be, I, man, I can be a football player. It's those guys that come to university, of junior college university, thinking that they, they have a potential to go pro. So they really didn't take it as tough in high school, but then come college, they think they can kind of pick it up. Right. But there was a lot of guys <laughs> that showed up and then they knew that I was there and Oh, Larry, oh, Larry, I'm going to be better than you. There's no way that you'd be better than me. Like, and that's when I started to realize how much competition it was, the fact of how being a top player or how someone's always trying to bring you back where they are. And But then I started to realize that, that I can't not think that someone's trying to be better than me. I have to always think that. I didn't really have to think that way in high school. But in college now, it's, it's, it's getting better. Everybody's getting maturing. Everyone's got a different process, a thought process. Mm -hmm. So I decided a process of just thinking like I, now I could be better right and I can still I can remember this guy that I'm pitching him right now I'm not going to say his name but he was he said oh Larry you showing up do you, you think you're going to play and I'm still remembering what <laughs> like he was already thinking that he was going to be better than me but I'm looking at him and I'm thinking why would you think that but I'm talking to myself like why would you think that like come on man I'm I'm now I'm really talking down to him but I'm not saying nothing to him so I'm right. so now I got my own push so that push right there kind of pushed me through too right you got all these guys thinking that they're you know, I'm talking to myself now Larry you got all these guys thinking that you man, shit you gotta step your game up continuously don't relax so that's when I really started started playing ball now the fact that I'm in my high school and college hall of fame and he was the reason why I did my college hall of fame because he pushed me to that next level to thinking that that I'm, I'm gonna be way better than this kid and obviously myself like I never played sports at such a high level but to be in an environment like that and to have people who are constantly just at your throat like, yeah. letting you know like, I'm coming yeah it's gonna have to push you like you have no choice it's either you rise to the occasion or you fall yes it's one of the one of the two how many seasons did you play at Solano I did two years, two years at Solano, and then at the end of my second year, right after the football season, my son was born. So while you were at the community college, you had a situation with a young lady. Yeah. The young lady got pregnant. Yes. You were expecting. Yes. At the end of your second season, your son is born. 
What are you thinking as far as having a kid and you still playing in college? That's what happened. Well, as you're saying that, my son came, so I had to drop out of college. So you dropped out of community college? Yes, to go to work. Okay, so you weren't even thinking about going to the big universities? No, I was going to go to work with my son. My son was born, but I was called as soon as I dropped out. Okay. I got, because I remember all those letters, but once you go blue chip, the next level wants to know who you are. So when you go to college, but then you, once you go blue chip, your college level is then you're going to another level. So I was getting calls by a pro team. And then from there, I got a call from the New York Mets for a tryout. And then I got a call from uh, Winnipeg. So we're, we're breaking it down in two parts. We'll start with the Mets and then we'll talk about the Winnipeg part of things. Okay. How do you find out that you're getting a call from the Mets? Did you have an agent? Did you have no, anybody I helping I you? I think, I, you know what I did? I got a call from my, my football coach. He calls me and tells me. At this point, you were in community college. You don't have an agent. You don't have anybody helping you with these decisions that you're supposed to be making. How old are you at the time? 18. So you're 18, eight, 19. 18, 19. Mm -hmm. You're having a kid, or you already had a kid. Yeah, he's, well, he's, he's only like months old. You're 18 years old. Your kid is a couple months old. And you have to make, essentially, what is going to be the biggest decisions of your life by yourself. Yeah. How were you able to make those decisions? Well, I made the decision because I had to, one. Yeah. And then two, it, it was the kind of thing to where that's where I wanted to go. I wanted to get the opportunity to go pro because of my son. I know I needed money, so I had to make a decision. Looking back, I always keep looking back at this, the fact that I had the trial for baseball and Basically, you went to this called Scandia, which is like a fun center where they have batting cages, bumper cars, arcades, but then they have a batting cage, but then outside the batting cage is a big grass area. And the guy goes, can you meet me over at uh, uh, Scandia? I said, well, This is your coach? No, this is the scout. Okay. He goes, can you meet me at Scandia? I said, okay. He goes, do you need me back? She goes, no, I, I need you to, to act like you're still on bases because they wanted me for a leadoff. So being, the, being from the Bay Area, they wanted me to be the next Ricky Henderson. So Ricky Henderson stole bases and he still has a record for that. Right. And so now we're at Scandia. He goes, all right, I'm going to stand out here like I'm on second base. I need you to act like you're on first. I'm going to clock you from you act like you're on first and you're still in the second base and you steal to me. He goes, well, you can either slide or you, you can stand up however you want to do it. So I said, well, I'm talking to myself now. I'm thinking like he wants to know about my speed, obviously. So let me go over here and not slide, just stand up. So now I'm just being my own confidence now, kicking in. So I get to him, I'm going, ah, and I'm going, going, going. Then once I get to him, I just stand up. And then once I stood up, he then pushed the clock down, which means I got there way before the time that he wanted. Right. He's been doing this, right? So he knows the timing of his own clock. I was there way before his clock was to end. That was it on that one. So from there, I was already going to go. Go meaning to the minors. Okay. Minors for the Mets. But I didn't know how that process worked, which is why now I'm helping kids now. Because I wish I would have had a mentor at that time to teach me about how the process of the minors work and then teach me how the Canadian football works. I didn't have that. So I just I just made my own decisions. I just did it. Touch back on the mentorship that could have helped you. So you have the trial with the Mets. Do you hear back from them after you run? Yeah. What's the communication like? They wanted to sign me. I want to say it was about Twelve to ten thousand a month, somewhere in that range. Then I got a call from Winnipeg. Okay, and you guys were negotiating or talking about yeah. potentially signing you to a contract, yeah. which was twelve thousand dollars a month, something like something that. around there. Yeah. And then you get a call from Winnipeg. Yes. To have a tryout for Winnipeg. It wasn't a trial. They were just going to sign. Oh, so just a straight up signing. Oh yeah. So you had two decisions to make between the Mets. And between Winnipeg, yeah, Winnipeg was gonna sign you outright, yeah, and give you the money for sixty thousand, sixty thousand, yeah. And the Mets it was twelve thousand dollars a month, potentially more, depending on how you perform, yeah, and all these different things, yeah. Okay, so now that lays the ground for the decision that you were going to make in order to be able to provide for your son. Exactly. So, what decision do you end up making? Winnipeg. You choose Winnipeg. I should have chosen baseball. So now the mentorship comes in. Yeah. If you would have had a mentor at that time, you would have picked baseball. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. Because I wouldn't be in the situation I'm in now with my MS. I mean, they're still saying how they're not really sure on how you can get MS. But for me, for 12 years, I was taking two Tylenol 3 before every game for 12 years. Wow. And that's why I'm right now in a concussion lawsuit. 
wow, my head was just bang because I was fast when I was hitting individuals. I was more the hammer than the nail, so I was getting headaches and blurry vision every game, every game. Oh my goodness! Every game. You make this decision, you get to Winnipeg. What's your first year in Winnipeg like? I didn't even realize there was even football in Canada. So take me through that process of finding out that you're going to play not only football in Canada but in Winnipeg. Yeah, it was 18 game season. I set out the first 10 games because I didn't know how to play. So I was learning how to play Canadian football. Right. So I set out the first 10 games, came in and played the last eight, and then came in the next year and was actual starter. And I ended up being the most outstanding player for the Eastern Division at 20 years old. That was in 92, I believe? 92. That first year in Winnipeg, being from California mm -hmm. and having to deal with that cold, what was that like? That was pretty bad. That year, we went to the Great Cup that year. Mm -hmm but we played our first home playoff game. It rained the night before, but you know, being in Winnipeg, you know, it was in November. So it was freezing. They couldn't get all the ice off the field. The Canadian field is wide, 65 yards wide, but they had to put it down to 55 yards. The end zones are 20 yards deep, but they had to put it to 10 yards deep because they couldn't get all the ice off the field because it was frozen. And the game was so cold, it was 37 below. Think about that, 30, well, you guys know up here in Canada, 37 below for a playoff game. Right. And it rained the night before. Not only is it cold, it's also slippery, it's icy. These are less than ideal conditions yes. to play football in. Yes, oh man. But that's Canada. That's just what we had to deal with. Tell <laughs> man, it was 37 below zero. Especially for you being from Cali, oh, being wow. used to the sunshine. Wow. You were 18, 19 at the time? I was 19. 19 at the time, changing your whole life, moving from California to Winnipeg. My goodness. But I like Winnipeg. I mean, it was a nice city. All the cities up here in Canada are nice. But probably my favorite city in Canada is Montreal. Even though I was only there for um, preseason, but Montreal is a lovely city. Lovely women. I mean, if you don't know French, you, you'll struggle a little bit. What did you like so much about it? Camaraderie of just being Montreal. They want their own stuff out there. Mm -hmm. So you get to see and understand how they want to be extra on just being them. Right. So I kind of learned that. Right. And then I learned, just like when, when I played in Saskatchewan, just you learn to be a, just a different way. I had to step back a little bit and understand that I had to learn a different way. Being in Canada, that's when I learned as a young man to not always be so strong about being from California. Just be open to be something else. Having an open mind exactly. to learning new things and exactly. submerging yourself in a new culture that you're in. Exactly. Like when I played in Saskatchewan, they had this receiver named Dan Farthing. He was a Caucasian guy, a gentleman, but he was so proper. He wasn't aggressive, he was proper, he was very efficient. And from him, I learned that being a runner, being a speed guy, but then adding that Dan Farthing concept to Larry Thompson, mm -hmm. which is what I did learn. Learned to be a, just a different guy from Dan Farthing. In 92, you guys go to a great cup. You have one of the best seasons. You're named an all-star for the first time in your career. Mm -hmm. What clicked for you that year that made you one of the best receivers in the league? I just learned how to be efficient, understanding when it comes to the table, it's your turn. Every time I got the ball, understanding to be direct and to be efficient and to just be dominant about my movement. After the 92 season, you go home to Cali in the off season. You're excited, just had one of the best seasons in your career and you want to go home to celebrate. First and foremost, what was it like being home after playing your second professional year in the league. Being from Cali, it, it just, it wasn't, you know, oh Larry, you know, want to sell these autographs or like, it, was, it wasn't a big thing out there. They knew where I was, but it wasn't, you know, a barrage of, of pictures and autographs. Like it was none of that, but it was just kind of thing. Oh yeah, Larry, I heard you had a great season. Like, and that would be it. Us in Cali, there wasn't much, because there's a lot of professional athletes that, from that general area. So it wasn't like a big blow up. But then from there, I got into my house, my new house, bought a, a new car, and just focused on just living a better life. How long are you home for? So for six months. The off season. Yeah. So you're training, getting healthy, getting ready for the 93 season. Yes. Some events take place while you're home. Oh, yeah. That specific year. Yeah. Paint the scene a little bit of what happens and what takes place while you're home. I'm home, and then this event happens March 3rd, 1993. I'm in a middle class neighborhood. It was a nice little little corner, and the gentleman had to park on the east side of my house and then walked around to the west side of my house to the door. They took out the light at the top, and this is 2.30 in the morning. I hear this knock on my door, and 
I get up, I had four bedrooms on the, on the left side of my house. I was slept in the front room. I had my roommate in the bathroom. And I'm looking out the blinds and I can't see because they took the light out. And then I see this Latin dude right next to the window. But then I see this tall black dude. He had to have been about six, five. And then there was two other guys. So there's about five guys on my door. All of a sudden I hear, I'm running to the back of the house and I'm hearing, pop, 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 Seeing drywall fly everywhere, pop, 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 pop. A girl tried to get out the back door and at the top of the back sliding door, there was a pin and then I forgot about that. So I'm pulling, trying to open the door, trying to open the door, but still bullets are flying, pop, 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 pop. I'm trying to open the door, trying to open the door. I feel something down at my left shoulder and it was blood. I'm thinking like, damn, it's blood on my arm. But still, as I'm talking to myself, understanding what this is, these bullets are still flying. Pop, 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 pop. So I'm looking at the blood, but bullets are still flying, right? right? So then there's a couch right there. So I go to get down and lay behind the couch and lay on my side, just so I can look at the front door as I'm on my side. The bullet comes through the couch and hits me in my leg. It comes out. I didn't notice that until they left, they stopped. So once they stopped, I turned over and my bottom foot just kept folding to the ground. I'm sitting up, but then my left foot goes to the ground. How long did the whole thing last for? That had to have been a good three to four minutes. Five guys with AKs and nine millimeters at your door. Oh my God. Yeah, they found 72 bullet shells outside my house. God. That takes about three to four minutes. Were you aware of why they came to your house? No, no, remember, I just got home. I hadn't been talking with them. I mean, I knew people, but I weren't toward the fact they even knew that I was even home. Right. And plus, it's not your character, it's not who you no, are. No. You don't associate with those kind of people. No. But my roommate, he did. You had a roommate at the time while you were in Canada playing ball. Yes, that took care of my house. I was gone. So you had an individual who was taking care of your house. Was this individual affiliated with, say, less than ideal people? I, well, I know him, but it was the kind of thing to where he was he was private with what he did, but he had a circle of friends that were from Vallejo, California, and those individuals were rappers and drug dealers, but he knew all of them. He hung out with all of them, but he was a Caucasian guy hanging out with all these brothers. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what that conversation was about, but I know Dave, he done well with his concept of dealing drugs. He had a different system. So those people, in your opinion, were there for your roommate? Yes, if that was them who came, because no one was ever caught. So I really don't know who was that came. Right. My dad has an opinion on who came. I don't know. So what's your dad's opinion on who came My to your house? My dad's opinion was that there were some, some drug dealers from Richmond, California, that were coming to get him. Everyone, oh, oh Larry, it could have been you. Like, maybe it was some girl. I, Man, no, I was in Canada. But everyone's trying to pull these different avenues on what happened. But really, they don't, they don't know. But you know what, though? The police showed me a lineup. You get shot, police comes to the house, you go to the interrogation, and they show you a lineup. Yeah. Are you able to pick anybody out of the lineup? No, but the funny part about this, not funny, but the one thing that about this to this day, I know the actual police officer that works there. We went to high school together. Right. But I asked him, can I see that lineup again? I said, it was a stressful time. You know, you know, I was in a different mindset at that time. So can I look at that again? But they won't let me. This is the kicker on that. The police officer that was the head of that case was good friends with my roommate. I see. They were friends. And it's just so funny how that case cannot be opened. They won't open that case. Back. They won't open the case. They won't open the case. They won't show me that lineup again. You know what? It's your right to look at that lineup again. It's, that's how you would think. But being that, that police officer and my roommate, they were, were friends. To this day, that was 1993. I have not talked to that guy since that day. You guys are no longer friends. Never. I've never even seen him since that day. He hasn't even spoken to you, nothing. no apology, nothing. 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 nothing since 1993. Wow. It's now 2022. Wow. To think that you as an athlete, you buy a house and you allow your friend, so-called friend, to live in your home and this happens, show no remorse at all, no apologies. When that happened, is your mind even on football or are you just focusing on, am I going to be able to survive this? When I was in the hospital and I woke up, I asked the doctor, I said, doc, am I going to play again? And he said, well, that's up to you. And from that, that's when I went on my own way of trying to figure out how to get better. And that's how I became a, a personal trainer. Why were the injuries that you sustained from that shooting? Broken femur was the major injury. It broke my lower femur and broken in half. It went right through it, broken in half. Think about that. I had a broken femur. That is what I'm trying to wrap my mind around. You just had the best season of your career. 
On top of that, you come home to celebrate and train for the upcoming season 93 because I'm imagining you are thinking, I'm only gonna elevate this. Exactly. And you get shot, broken femur. The last thing that you're thinking about, if I was in your position, the last thing that I'm thinking about is football. But obviously, being the top tier athlete that you are and being the competitor that you are, you wanna find a way to make this happen. Exactly. Once again, you were in a predicament where you had to figure things out and you had nobody to help you. Yes, yeah, and it was tough. It was tough and being that, you know, I've never had a, an injury that level. Mm -hmm. to where I had to really focus on my running mechanics, my endurance, just being able. I remember when I started being able to run, that my left leg would hit my right, my front of my left toe would hit my right calf because I'm, I'm running, but I'm kind of dragging my left leg because it wasn't strong enough. And I remember seeing my calf all scarred up. Now it's because my left leg would keep hitting my left shoe so I had this thing like I gotta get stronger so that's when I'm always thinking to get stronger and that's why now with my personal training uptempotraining.com I do a hundred repetitions a hundred repetitions is my concept and it's all resistance band and I do that strictly because of what happened when I got shot because of my endurance of just building so everyone keeps thinking that you gotta lift weights with, with actual weights but no you gotta rehab but why not train with the same things you could do for rehab to prevent injury right yeah after that you had to miss the 93 season. Yeah. When did you get back into football? So from there, I finally got ready. That's when the uh, CFL expanded and went into the States. And then they had a team in Sacramento. So in California, in Sacramento, they had the Sacramento Gold Miners. First of all, this is blowing my mind. <laughs> this is blowing my mind. I am 28. I didn't know that CFL even expanded in the States. Yeah. Did you know of any other teams that they had expanded to at that time? Oh, yeah, because I tried out for two of them. I tried out for Sacramento, and I still can picture the offensive coordinator or head coach because he knew I was obviously being from the area. But he was like, Larry, you're not ready yet. So he saw me. I was saying I was dragging my leg, and he was hitting my opposite leg. So he saw that too. He was Larry, you're not ready yet. I said, what do you mean? He goes, you know what I mean. You're not ready. Your leg's not ready yet. So then I had to go back and retrain. So there's another month of training. So take me through the training that you did by yourself. Take me through the regimen that you would put yourself through in order to get yourself ready to be able to perform at a high level again. I would do, as I was saying to you, I would look at resistance bands. I would just do a lot of resistance band training. I did a lot of sand work, did some pool work, just more strengthening exercises, but not a lot of heavy weight stuff, just a lot of like medium weight, high repetition stuff. Okay. And that's when I finally learned that concept where I just need to get stronger, not bigger. So from there, I went from just understanding that I just gotta get stronger physically and mentally. Before you go any further, I wanna know, obviously you have been playing football for a very long time. You get that injury, which is the first injury of your career. And now you have to build yourself, like you said, physically, but also mentally. Would you say the mental aspect of it was much tougher than the physical aspect of it? No, the mental part wasn't tough because I was already tough just coming from Cali. Just had a different push on just being better. Not cocky better, but just being better. Mm -hmm. And was just working more on my mental part of just being physically better. Altogether, how much time did you miss from football due to that injury? A year. So it took you a full year to fully recover now. So you fully recover and then you go out to try for all the teams. Do yeah. teams call you or do you just reach out? These two trials had called and they would say, come on in. But they already knew who I was. So I went from Sacramento, got better, and tried up for Vegas, the Las Vegas Posse. Tried up for that team. But then the veterans were in camp too early. They cut us off, except for one, which was Greg Battle, which we was pretty good. He was a linebacker. They kept him but they cut everybody up. So I'm thinking, so now I'm cut by two teams. So I'm thinking now, what do I do? I didn't want to go back to Winnipeg. That's what team I was with, with shooting. And I didn't want to go back there and deal with the media. So I'm thinking, well, where can I go now? Did you have a conversation with Winnipeg after the shooting? Was Winnipeg aware of the shooting? They're aware of the shooting, but I just never went back. Right. As I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about why didn't they contact? Why didn't they contact me to come back? They didn't contact me to come back. So I guess they were going to think that I was going through the shooting or whatever, so they never called me back. So from there, like, who am I going to go? Like, how am I going to do this? I'm thinking, like, what team do I want to go to? So I'm now I'm thinking of going from Montreal, coming all the way back to the West. But they're like, who should I call? I said, not Winnipeg, not Ottawa, Saskatchewan. And I said it just like that, Saskatchewan? And I was like, all right, let's call there. And they, I called there. And they were like, well, Larry, are you ready? I said, well, yeah, I'm ready. Well, well, if you pay for yourself to come out here, we'll take care of you. I said, all right, I'll. So I got the money, flew into to Saskatchewan, tried out. They signed me and I said, I'm back. Okay. I'm back. Okay. <laughs> I'm back. Okay. 1994, back. 1994. Back in the action. So 92 shooting, 93 missed the whole season. 
taking time to train, recover, get stronger, physically, mentally. Yeah. And then 94, go to Saskatchewan and finally get signed yeah. to Saskatchewan. That first season, after the injury, being officially back on a football team, yeah. how did that make you feel? It was the kind of thing to where you got your own mental things going on, the fact that you're trying to do something. Well, the fact that I was trying to come back, but not the fact to come back, but come back professionally. That's a whole nother level of uh, attention to detail because there's a lot of guys that are trying to make the team and they're, and they're not even injured and they're trying to make the team. So I'm competing with those guys too. So just the fact I was a top athlete, but then I was a top athlete and still had that top athlete ability after a broken femur. How many years did you play for Saskatchewan? A year and a half. A year and a half. The half was my uh, other receiver on the other side, Don Narcisse. He was getting ready to retire. Right. So he was good friends with the actual quarterback of our, of our team. So I knew he was trying to load him up with passes. So I'm thinking like I'm coming off this injury. I'm getting ready to go into my draft year, which my draft year was actually 94. But I ended up getting going to the NFL in 96. So Dan Narcisse is about to retire. He, yeah, yeah, he's retiring. But then I was thinking I need to get my numbers up. So I went into the head coach and I asked for a trade. In the middle of the season? Yes. That is... I asked for a trade. He goes, well, Larry, well, Larry, we want you to be here. I said, well, I'm getting ready to come off my injury, and I need to get my numbers up, and Don is getting ready to get retire. So I just need to go somewhere where I can be a little bit more focused on it. And he was like, well, I don't want to do that. Well, I said, well, we're going to need to do that because I got plans after the CFL. I need to go to the NFL. So then he calls me back in the office the next day. He goes, oh, we got a trade for you. We're going to trade you to Hamilton. So I get traded to Hamilton. And <laughs> I get into the game. I played my first game, obviously my first game there. And then the commentators went to the second game. Glenn Suter and the other commentator, they go, well, you know, Larry, we haven't heard much from you. But, you know, what's going on with you? How come you haven't scored any touchdowns? I said, well, you know what? Being that you guys asked about me today, I mean, I just got in on the trade. So, but being that you guys asked about me today, I'm going to do something for you guys. I said, today, I'm going to score twice for you today. <laughs> I might even give you three. But I'm going to score twice for you for the fact that you guys are asking. And then at the beginning of the game, the commentator goes, well, Larry Thompson made this bold statement that he's going to score two touchdowns. Man, I scored three touchdowns with 275 yards. <laughs> so, so when you understand, when you're a top athlete, you know you have something. It's like with my son. Figure out who you are. I know who Larry Thompson is. Who is Larry Thompson? Larry Thompson is very passionate, um, handsome, charismatic, and you know I'm always looking to help others. But when I want to take over at something, that's what I'm going to do. I already have that mindset and I always try to teach my young guys is that if you believe in yourself and you gotta help me believe in you too. So if you can believe in yourself, make me and help me believe in you too. So keep showing me and consistently showing me who you are so we can be consistent at this game. Mm. So you play with uh, with Don Narcisse for how many years? Don Narcisse, he was there for the two years I was there. Okay. He was there, he only played with the Rough Riders. Did Dan help you round out your game? Oh, for sure. Don did. Don, sorry. I talk to Don a, a lot still to this day. He told me this one thing about cutting a, a defensive back off. He said, Larry, with your speed, once you get next to him, you need to get in front of him and cut him off so he's running up your back and not running him on the side of you. But I still remember that to this day, and it's still doing that to this day. The fact that he told me that, that was a big key. That was something that I never had learned, and he taught me that, and it was a very good key in my game. Yeah, because you were a speed guy, so getting in yeah. front of him yeah. allowed you for more room yeah, exactly. for the quarterback to be <laughs> exactly. able to throw the ball. Exactly. So then you played for the Rough Riders, get traded midseason, you put up that unbelievable game, two touchdowns, 276 yards. Yeah. You're getting your stats up, so you're thinking, just go ball out, and then we're going for the NFL. Exactly. How did you end up finishing that season with Hamilton Tiger Cats? Oh, it was it was a great season. Like I had that game, then I had a couple other games where I had wasn't as many yards. I knew I had a plan. A plan was to get a little bit more noticed when it comes to my ability because of the injury, just to let them know that I could still do what I do. So then from that season, I got two tryouts. I tried out with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Okay, let's talk about that experience first. What that was like getting there, being in an NFL atmosphere the first time in your career. Wow. It's one thing to be an NFL player, but then it's to understand the things that come along with being an NFL player. So the first thing for me was the parking lot. Showing up to camp and me obviously not showing up with a car, but then all the, the veteran guys are showing up with their cars or they're getting dropped in from wherever they live. They were getting their cars shipped to, to the stadium, mm -hmm. the practice field. And just to see all the different types of cars that these guys had, and I was like, damn, you know, everyone's like Rolls Royces and Benzes and Beamers and 
all these different types of SUVs, Range Rovers, like it was ridiculous of how like this is this is what it is. Like like to understand the kind of money that was happening with this team. NFL money and CFL money is a total different game. Night and day. A total different game. From making thousands to making hundreds of thousands. That's a total different game. Not only that, but then making thousands in the US yes. dollar yes. compared to making thousands in Canadian. Two different ballgames. Oh man, it's totally different. Totally different. I remember one time I was in a, there was two situations that would never leave my memory to this day. One was I was driving with Rick Meyer. Rick Meyer was our quarterback. And for some reason, I'm not sure why, but I was in his car with him. I think we were going to get something to get or something, but I went with as my quarterback, so I went with him. But then he told me to get something out of his glove compartment, something he had in there. But when I opened it, it had all his game checks in there that he didn't cash. So the think about it was a quarterback, our main number one quarterback checks in his glove box. I can't really remember the number that it, I was looking at because I didn't want to pry into his stuff, but I just remember it being a big number. And there was a stack of them in his glove compartment. Is this the quarterback for the Jacksonville no, Jaguars? This, this is for the Seahawks. Let's finish up the, the story with the, with the Jaguars. When I went to Jacksonville, I had a bad trial with Jacksonville. It was for me being from Cali and then going to Florida. It was March, April, somewhere in there, but it was hot. Mm -hmm. So it was that East Coast hot, you know, that humidity. Yeah, um, sticks to it you. It was sticky and I'm thinking I'm gonna get to this workout. Am I being spoiled? I guess I could have been, but I just think it just didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. It was the weather, it was high grass. I walk into the locker room and it was like all the, the trainer guys, he had all the jerseys of all the players that would line up in their, their lockers. Right. So I'm thinking like, I'm looking at all the, these jerseys, I'm thinking like, how the hell am I going to make this team with all these jerseys here? I didn't understand how the concept of, of making the team, but I knew the concept, but then actually see the guys already here, just a free agent, how am I going to cut this? Right. So I, I blew myself up on that, that trial, right. so it just wasn't a good trial right. for me. It was just a little bit overwhelming, was it? Yeah, it, it was. It was overwhelming, but the fact that I just didn't run good. So for me, being a, a, a sprinter, like high grass, it just didn't work together. Mm. So I, I timed bad. And there was a guy who's actually the head coach now for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Mike O'Shea. Mike O'Shea, was, he was trying out too. So we both knew each other and we both were there. But it was a bad trial for me. I'm not sure how he felt about his, but mine was bad. So then I went from there. And the personnel guy for Jacksonville and for Seattle, who I worked out for, they were brothers. Yeah. So they were brothers, but the two brothers were following me since high school. So they already knew me. So they were waiting for me to get there, both of them. Okay. That's why I went to Jacksonville first and then went to okay. Seattle. Do you have a bad tryout with Jacksonville? Yeah, no, it was a little bit overwhelming. It was, it was. I was overwhelmed. And I'm not trying to give myself an excuse, but I'm just saying that's what happened. Obviously, coming from the CFL, and getting a tryout with an NFL team. Different sensation. Oh yeah. Right? So you have to be in a completely different mindset when you're going to try out for those teams, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That trial didn't go well. No. You get a second one with the Seahawks. Yeah. Talk about that experience with the Seahawks. The Jacksonville one was, I didn't really get the chance to, to do what I wanted to do because I just didn't feel right from mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. It just didn't, it didn't work out. It just didn't work. And the cool part about it is like meeting, meeting people that you know are on the team, then you actually see them They're right actually in the locker room they're in your face right big joey galloway but there was just to see all the different names that you knew then actually have them right there in your face right that was pretty cool and my workout it was raining and i had to run my 40 and i ran a 452 in the rain and from that right there that was when i knew i was back because it was pouring rain in seattle mm -hmm. pouring rain and i ran a 452 in the rain so going from 4-3-2 with my femur not being broke, but then going to a 4-5-2 after a broken femur in the rain. That was pretty good. What happens after you do the run? They liked me and they signed me. So you officially signed with the Seahawks? Yes, but the only reason why they signed me was because there was a guy on trial for murder. His name was Brian Blades. They were brothers, Benny and Brian Blades. One was a linebacker and one was a receiver, so I can't remember which one of the two was either. But one of them was on trial for murder. I knew that, but before I left Vancouver to go to that trial, the head coach here, which his name was Joe Cowpow, and he said, he said to me, Larry, you should wait. You should wait a year before you go there because there's a chance that guy's going to get off. Because if he gets off, he's going to get cut. I was just thinking, I'm thinking, I'm coming off the injury. I'm ready to go. But that's why I ended up going anyway. 
did get off and I, that's how I got cut. So the head coach tells you, Larry, don't go, the guy might get off the case. And essentially what Seahawks were doing, they were using you as a potential replacement if he doesn't get off the case. So you go, you get a tryout, you do well, they sign you, but then homeboy ends up getting off the case. So then they cut you. But the one thing about the four games I was there, I didn't do as well as I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Just because you know everyone's trying to make the team, mm -hmm. so there wasn't as many opportunities as I wanted. But the one game that I did have a chance to prove what I can do, which was when we were on a road trip to Oakland, back home, baby, <laughs> back home, baby. <laughs> so we're playing against the Raiders. Everyone who knew who I was, coming from where I came from, was at that game. Right. So they remember me from what right. I did in high school. They remember what I did in college. Right. And they were all at my game. And the one play that I still remember to this day and will never forget was I had a 65-yard punt return in that game. Wow. Everyone who knew me knew that's what I could do. And they saw it. Right. So they saw that I could do it at the top level. It was fulfilling for the fact that you coming off a broken leg, coming from where I'm coming from in California, in Fairfield, and to actually be at a game to where people knew who I was and they saw what I did coming up and they saw it again at the pro level. Do you have any regrets as far as not being able to fully achieve your dreams of playing in the NFL as a professional signed athlete? Do I have any regrets? With how everything went down, having one of the best seasons of your career, hoping to lift that up the following year and then you get shot. Obviously getting to try with the Jacksonville and then things not working out and then going with the Seahawks and then them essentially using you as a potential replacement piece and then having that not work out. Obviously you got to play a couple games uh, game in front of your home people. Yeah. Being in that atmosphere and seeing that you belong at the top and never having been able to fully achieve that. Yeah. Being here now, how do you feel about it? Well, I played for 12 years. Right. I look at it as the fact that I went to Seahawks, I was 26 years old. Mm -hmm. So as a free agent, 26, like 26, you should already been in, up there for a number of years. Right. So I was, that was my first year. Then looking at the roster, being that they, they keep seven receivers, and two of them are just strictly for special teams. Mm -hmm. So the rest of the five, actually three of the five are top guys. So I would have to break that. And I'm thinking like, how am I gonna get in front of Joey Gallup or Mark Pritchard? It was Ricky Pro, Mark Pritchard, and Joey Galloway. Those were the three main receivers. receivers. And then they had another guy, James McKnight, but he was the fifth. But he was kind of like the young guy. So I'm thinking like, how am I gonna break that? So you got your three main starters, you got your McKnight was four, and then you got two that are strictly for special teams. Right. So that was a pretty hard lineup to break. Right. But the fact that I did what I did with the, in Oakland, fact that I even was even there they gave me a nice little signing bonus and but I think I think my age had a lot to do with it mm -hmm. coming off the injury and my age that was probably gonna be hard for me to get mm -hmm. in that system but the fact that I was there I was good could have been a lot worse I could have not even played after the injury mentally and physically was able to come back after a broken femur and play at the pro level another 10 years after mm -hmm. a broken femur mm -hmm. So that was, I think that'd be pretty good. We're gonna shift a little bit and talk about the T3s that you used to take and the concussion that you used to stand during your career. I'm trying to fully comprehend how readily available is pharmaceuticals for players in the NFL? Oh, in the CFL. The CFL back then, that was the 90s. Right. Two Tylenol 3s a game was like candy. I would walk into the trainer's T3s would be right on his desk. He knew I was coming. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he knew I was coming to get him. T3s and Naperson was highly available for athletes back then. Naperson helped world ankle, mm. so it helped calm down the swelling. Right. Yeah, so Naperson was your killer of the swelling. And then the T3 for the headaches. T3s for the pain. Oh my God. Yeah. And you take those for 12 years. 12 years for every game. Yeah. Man, football players go through a lot. But just think about the 90s. To this day now, they've reconstructed the helmet. It's a whole total different helmet. Right. The 90s, what was it like in the 90s? The 90s, it was called a bike helmet. It was just full of air, air pads in the inside, and that was it. So it was the actual dome of the helmet, but then the inside, there was this, it was just air, and that was a bike helmet. And so concussions were... There was a, there was concussions all the time. 
didn't have much information on them at it back then. Obviously now I think people sports people are more educated yeah. and uh, yeah. the technology for sports has advanced yeah. tremendously. Oh, yeah. So things have changed. Yeah. But back in those days it was still the wild wild west. Oh yeah, it was just get where you can get in. Hopefully you're gonna make it. <laughs> Hopefully you're gonna make it and you're gonna make it out yeah. with being intact. Yeah. Obviously you haven't played twelve years. You have MS now. Yes. That has direct correlation with the football career. Yes. But they're still trying to figure out exactly how you get in this. They're saying it's weather related too. Well, my first four years, actually from 91 to 95, actually, yeah, five years, I was in all cold cities Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, mm-hmm. Hamilton. So there's three right there, cold. Right. Like it was 37 below in, in Winnipeg. Saskatchewan, see, it's even colder there too. Minus 40. <laughs> <laughs> so they're saying you, I mean, being a California boy, and then they saying MS is weather related. Well, I was still developing, you know, I was 19 years old my first years in Winnipeg, mm. Saskatchewan. So I was still developing and having concussions coming up. They all kind of worked together. Yeah. And then all of a sudden now I had MS. How did you feel when you found out that you had MS? That was hard too. I remember when I first noticed it, there was a kid out. I always remember Jermaine, his name was Jermaine. He's a DJ. And with those boys, because I would always play at this community center called called Bonzer. I would come at this community center on during the offseason and play basketball. But all those kids were young at that time. You know, they were just high school and just, you know, young in college. But then I was coming in there playing with them. When I first found out about it, I was practicing with the uh, the Vancouver Grizzlies. Vancouver Grizzly NBA team was here. Mm. Was going down the court, and all of a sudden, our body kind of seized up. Like you know, when your arm falls asleep, think if your whole body falls asleep. And it kind of seemed like I was running. All of a sudden, I'm like ah, I'm trying to run, and my body was like seized. And I'm like, damn, what was that? And then Jermaine he noticed that. And I was like, <laughs> he was like, oh, there's something wrong with Larry. There's something wrong with Larry. Like I'm thinking, like you know, I'm kind of letting it kind of go past me, like. Something wrong with Larry, and then that happened. I'm kind of just kind of just keep going, but then I'm like, All right, I'm talking to myself. Let's wait and see what happens. Were you playing at the time? No, I wasn't playing, I was retired. Let me see if it happened again. This happened by about two months later. It happened again. I was like, All right, this is I need to go. So my doctor he called. He said, well, I really don't know, Larry. Let me see this, this number, which is Dr. Chabosi at the MS Clinic in Casey. And he said, well, you just come in and see me. He gave me a, a simple drill. He said, close your eyes. And just stand there and close your eyes. And what happens is with MS, it messes with your motor skills. So when you close your eyes, your brain to connect to you to keep yourself still. With MS, those lesions block that sense. Close your eyes. So when, I, when I closed my eyes, I kind of fell forward, and he said, oh, "I got, I know what you." He said, "I had MS," but he knew he just from that simple me doing that, he knew that I had MS. Oh my God! It was just a simple thing. He goes, "Close your eyes," and I fit, and I kind of started falling forward, and I caught myself, and he said, "No, no, I need to see you in for an MRI." And what I have is I have about 15 to 20 lesions, built like little pieces of paper, lesions on my brain. cover those signals. Some get caught, some can make it through. But the ones that make it through, that's why I can actually walk. Okay. But the ones that can't get through, that's why I can't run. That's why with MS, all the MS patients are different. Like I got one of my friends, Jules, he's had MS since he was 10. But then my other friend, uh, Junior, he's had MS as long as I've had it, but he can run. But I have MS for now 18 years. I haven't ran since that day. So I haven't ran in 18 years. I can't even imagine yeah. being a professional athlete for so many years yeah. at the very top tier level. Yeah. And then at the end of your career, when you retire, you want to relax and enjoy the fruit of your labor, yeah. you get the news that you have MS. Yeah. That was devastating. It was, it, was, it was hard. I want to say the first year, year and a half, really hard adjusting to not being able to run. Right. I was a runner, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it just stops. That's the eye-opening thing. Like just to deal with 
wow, 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 wow. Yeah. I don't even have the words to, to fully comprehend and fully understand the things that you have to deal with on the day-to-day basics. Yeah. But now you're shifting your energy from all of that stuff to more positive stuff and mentoring kids. Yes. I mentor kids, personal trainer with my kids, my website, doctorpimpletraining.com. And what I've learned here in Vancouver is that these kids, they, they want to learn and they're learning from guys who's actually never done what they're trying to do. Right. And You've been in the field. You understand. But the thing is, the kids don't realize that. CFL Combine just came up watch the combine like for me being an athlete and being a, a trainer and having them and seeing kids and how they develop but I can just tell by the kids that were at that combine they were being taught by someone who didn't know what they were doing when I say know what they're doing being an athlete what do you need to do to get yourself better as an athlete but for me I always I always tell kids even now that I'm talking to you is that I always tell kids to check their resume tell you a lot just to see if he's been to where you're trying to go because if he's never been there how would you understand how to, to coach from someone that's read in the book or you saw on, on YouTube or whatever it may be Facebook or whatever it is but you're not realizing but there's little things about being an athlete that you have to teach and if you can't teach the little things that's what seems to be the problem kids can fail check your coach's resume check your coach's resume Make sure whoever is training has been through the field so they understand what they're teaching you. And always remember, your best move is your next move. Thanks. Explain that a little bit. Your best move is your next move. Your best move is your next move. I, I've learned that one from uh, this rapper named E40, but that's real. Like, you got to realize what your next move is going to be. And what your next move is going to be, it has to be a good move. Because you can't go backwards. you got to always want to go forward. And he said this too. you got to always want to hustle forward. But hustle forward means as you're always trying to just step forward. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. That's right. That's right. Okay. That's right. <laughs> well, Larry, thank you so much for this insightful conversation about your career, you the person. And I'm sure there's much more that we'll dive into in the upcoming months. Sure. We'll talk again. For sure. But I do want to say thank you so much for letting me tell a portion of your story to share this with kids coming up for them to understand that there's much more to sports than just lifting weights and being a good athlete you have to have the academics you have to have a trainer who understands where you're trying to go and all these different things i just want to say thank you thank you so much you're welcome i just want to let kids know the fact that when you want to be a better athlete you gotta want to be a better athlete what do you have to do to become that better athlete you gotta find somebody get out of the circle of people that are going to help you become that athlete always check your information these kids like I almost feel bad for these kids at the combine how they were just looking like they never like they never did it before it's almost like they were high school right when you step into the next level you gotta prepare as you're going to be at the next level right so there has to be an understanding of, of, of awareness to be better but you gotta learn how to be better right so with my website optimaltraining.com as a personal trainer what do you offer these kids I'm offering a way and an understanding of just being a better athlete. Like for me going pro at 19 years old, I'm going to teach you how I did it. As you check my resume, you can see it. Yeah. Like I went pro and I was a picture of me wearing number eight at yeah. 19 years old to Winnipeg Blue Bombers. That, like that really happened. I was a real pro at 19 years old. Mm-hmm. That's real. Mm-hmm. So I can teach you that and how that happened. They say and think that they understand it and, and been there, but different as I remember this word comes from the East Coast he said it's forgazing he said it was forgazing meaning as if it just wasn't it just wasn't right for these kids right. it wasn't right. it, was, it, was, it was a way of uh, coming from someone who just doesn't understand how to do it and that's just never even been a professional athlete and you, you train by someone that has never been there like I, I don't get that one like how would you want to be trained by someone who's never been a pro but then you're trying to that's why I don't train people. Because <laughs> I've never been a professional. You know what I mean? Like, how can you teach a kid to be a pro 
know, people, oh, that it happens all the time. But yeah, but tell me, but that's a small percentage of people that, that got that chance to get in. And there was a reason why he slipped through the cracks. There was a reason why that that one you talk about slipped through the cracks. Someone was there. Someone helped him. Part of the boys club. I'm not. I'm a solo dollar. Solo dollar, rolling solo. No <laughs> wolf in the streets. That's right. That's right. We're here today. Thank you. Thank you, Larry, so much. Again, yeah. thank you.